Hello and welcome to Flamenco Attitude, the podcast that brings you all things flamenco. Welcome back to our returning listeners. And if you're new, welcome to the show. We cover everything that we can from the genre of flamenco. If you would like to go back and re-listen to something ahead of the episode that we're going to broadcast today, I would recommend to listen to Flamenco Fusion because the it, it's something connected to the topic of today and also to re-listen to our episode on Flamenco Adventures and Moron too, because today we are concentrating on Flamenco's Golden Triangle. Oh yes, we're not talking about, it's the Bermuda Triangle of Flamenco, isn't it? But we're talking about Moron, Marcos, what else? Utrera. Utrera and Lebrija. Uh, and specifically, we're talking about Lebrija today because we've never before done a, an episode on a whole flamenco dynasty. And this is what very much what we're exploring today. El Lebrijano, uh, an incredible, not only performer, but person who is very well connected within the world of flamenco. He has extensively fought for gypsy rights. He knows a lot of the artists from the genre and has performed um, with them. And Marcos has interesting stories about his life, his incredible family, the dynasty that he comes from, and of course, stories from actual events that he's been on uh, that I'm very much looking forward to. So this is the grand episode we have on a flamenco dynasty and Lebrija. So I think what we've got to say straight away is what is the dynasty? What is the clan? Well, I didn't forget it because I was going to ask you. I can't okay. say everything. No, no, that's fine. Yeah. And it's the Peña dynasty. And what we should explain to, to our listeners is that flamenco is held in the hands of very few people. Um, they are an urban elite. They were once described as. They all often come from one person many, many centuries ago, Pinini, and they hold the flamenco. So a family like uh, the Peña in, in Lebrija are a very key thing because they produce so many artists, they're all related. Um, you know, I mean, you're talking about Lebrijano, he, he's related to all the all the great people uh, f- from his mother, and of course he, his godmother was La Nina de los Peñas, so, you know, he, he's like royalty, flamenco royalty. And we should explain that, as we're going to a little bit later on, Lebrija is famous not just for being a cradle, of flamenco, one of the golden triangle, as you said, with Moron de la Frontera mm. and Utrera, and they're all related, by the way, all the people that live in the, in those other two towns. But they have a key flamenco festival every year, which we will look into. But you were talking about Lebrijano, and he's somebody that really emerges uh, in the tablaos, the flamenco clubs uh, in in Sevilla, in his province. So he plays in Los Gallos, uh, El Guajiro. So he's like a, a workman. In you know, you know what these things are like. The the Spanish and the tourists go to these clubs. You pay to get in, and included in your payment to get in is one drink, and you watch a show. You know, uh, everybody who's anybody in flamenco has gone through this process. Camarón, who was a great friend of Lebrijano, he had to go and do it in Madrid. Lebrijano did it, made his way in the tablaos, mm. and it's not going to be until the seventies that he starts emerging 
as a very, very important artist. Right. Let's start from the beginning, though, because you're breaking your own law here, because you said, you told me, first we're going to talk about the town of Lebrija. Yeah. Uh, so tell us a little bit more about that, because I don't think when we talked about flamenco adventures that we actually mentioned Lebrija. Well, I've got to be honest, actually, that while I've spent half my life in Morón, mm. and I've been in Utrera many times. Mm, I, yeah. I, I have actually gone through Lebrija. But, but I've never, never actually, actually experienced. been in it. Um, it's very much like Utrera. These are small towns. They've got beautiful architecture. They're very famous. They have lovely parks, fountains. And they're places where, in the night, so many people gather to play and sing some flamenco. Um, they, you know, they, they are the... I don't know, quintessential flamenco towns. Yeah, do you know people from there? Or anything? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously I know just about everybody in Morong. Yeah. Um, Humble I, I, brag I, here. I, I, had, <laughs> I had some great, uh, we had some great times. I did a lot of playing a couple of years ago in Utrera. Mm -hmm. But a gap for me, even though I'm going to tell you about coming across Lebrijano in person, yeah. I've never really spent time is something yeah. I'm going to put on my list. Yeah, and you you will probably not know then from personal experience what the um, festival is like there. No, no. See, see, that's another thing. I mean, obviously, you've already announced we're going to do a special from Morong. We, we are going and we will be behind the stage of the scene. You heard it here in, first. In, in, <laughs> yes. special. Now, what you've got to realise is that these festivals were set up in the 60s as a way of raising money for gypsy charities. And the whole idea is that the festival in those days was free. Obviously, in Morong, you get the gazpacho. And in, in La Brica, you get the caracolar, which is snails. Caracolar. You're killing me with these things. Yeah, so the, the potaki is in Utrera. Yeah. yeah but no, as a vegetarian, I'm not going down that one. But where are we going then as vegetarians? Well, we can go to the gazpacho. Right, that's the only thing, that's the only option we've got. Okay, and I have a question about the flamenco dynasty or a clan, as you say. How does it emerge? How does a family become a clan of flamenco? Uh, it emerges really um, in the 19th century. I mean, you've got to bear in mind that the, the, the gypsy people had travelled um, a thousand miles from India over over the various centuries, and they gathered in certain places in Andalusia, and so the these dynasties, in a sense, start with the iron forges where the people worked in, in Triana and places like that. In other places, they worked in in meat and things like, and they they gathered together and they specialised in in flamenco, because you've got to tell our audience that you know the majority of gypsies can't sing flamenco. The majority of gypsy people are not uh, toreros, bullfighters. It's a specialised thing and it's always been kept in these unique families. I mean, in a, in a future episode, obviously, we'll look at, at Jerez and the dynasty that comes out of Jerez. You know, the Morales and the Moraitos, all the different mm. guitar So tradition. every single place has a dynasty? Very much so. Oh, so, right. so when we're going to, to, to the Gaspacho, obviously, we're going to look at Del Gasto, Diego Del Gasto, and all You're his. You're killing me with these yeah. things. Yeah, I mean, but it, it, it's an interesting thing because if you look at it from the point of view of, say, sport, football, many people can just decide to take up football and they can get good at it. And you know, but if you look at flamenco, it is held very closely within families. You know, so that you know, if we look at Moraito, one of your favorite guitarists, obviously. 
his daddy was a morale and his daddy before him another morale. So they they all they're not singers, you see. That's another way of looking at a dynasty. That dynasty specializes in the guitar. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And are they dynasty that specialize in singing? Oh yeah. So that's what we're going to look at, like yeah, for the Because the, you know the the mother of, of Levi Harlan was La Parata, so obviously he. He, you know, we're going to look at his cousin within this episode, you know, Pedro Bacan. He's a guitarist, um, but Labrica is very famous for the singing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't get a more famous artist than Labrica. Than Labrica. So some of the great artists from the Libriha dynasty are obviously El Libricano, Pedro Bacan and Ines Bacan. Yeah. How are they related? What are they to each other? And tell me a little bit more about each one. Well, well I mean, Pedro is, uh, is a cousin and uh, Ines is part of the, of the Peña family. Um, she's actually the sister of, of Pedro Bacan. So they're all related. And, and ironically... They are sub-related to, you know, the people of, of uh, Utrera, like Fernanda and Bernardo. Bernardo. So they're all part of, uh, we talked of this wonderful word, you know, un clan. They, it's all part of them, a, a joint clan across these three major towns, yeah. Morong, Lebrica, y Utrera. Utrera, yeah. Uh, and, and, and do, do they, uh, all of them specialise in a particular type of cante? Yes, very much so. I yeah. mean, later on we're going to hear uh, Solia, uh, Paul Bulleria, from Ines Bacan. I mean, if you want the best Solia, then it's always going to be Fernanda. Mm-hmm. In the case of our maestro of the day, Lebrijano, well, he can do everything. But I think we're going to listen to a lot of his uh, Bullerias. And as you mentioned uh, about fusion, we're going to probably look at him as being really the real father that's fusion. what that's what yeah. I was driving at here because um, a librejano um, as I arrived actually you as usual have laid out a lot of tracks a lot of books here and on one of the LPs we see him with people from Morocco in their traditional attire and you said that he very much mixes his music yeah. with um, African music yeah you see what we've got to look at by the time of the of the seventies his stature grows. And he starts to make some very key LPs that we'll talk about in a moment. And he becomes a very record, a big recording artist for what is now uh, the Universal uh, Company. And he wants to branch out, not just for, for the Gypsy people, but he wants to bring the Andalusian flamenco back into the music of North Africa, Andalusi. So he starts recording with his guitarist, Paco Sapero, incredible records with, as you can see, the people on this cover, you know, and this is an, or- an orchestra from Tanke in, in North, North Africa. And these records actually become more than flamenco records. It's the beginning, really, of world music. You know, there wasn't really this term when Lebrijano started this, and suddenly you, people start to use this new term, oh yeah, world music, and every record shop has got a, a small world music section. Mm-hmm. So you've got a flamenco artist at the forefront of this because he's singing flamenco, but as you can see, they're playing North African instruments, string bowed instruments, and pre- creating a, an incredible sound. And I, I think this had a very big influence on Camarón because he started following this way as well, and he had the orchestra of Tanque playing on one of his records. Well, let's hear one. Let's have a little musical interlude, as we say. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking of um, 
El Anillo. You had the pleasure of meeting him uh, once, I suppose? Only once, yeah. Mm. Um, in my old days, and this is going back to the mid-70s, I used to go in the middle of, of Seville. You can head towards the airport and there's a place called the Gran Plaza, the Gran Plaza uh, which is a um, very nice, well, obviously, plaza uh, with bars on all corners where all the traffic goes up and down. And I used to go to a, a particular bar, Bar Los Pollos, chicken bar, not that I eat, <laughs> <not that> I <laughs> eat. <laughs> And um, one day I, I was up there and there was a man sitting uh, outside in the sun and he had a, a spectacular hat on. Oh. And I, I looked and I thought, wow, that's Lebrijano. Himself. He's, he's himself, he's coming to Sevilla uh, well, probably just to have a little relax or something. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe he's going to a recording studio and there he was resplendent. And you could, you know, the, the thing about people like him is like Cameron, you just know that they're to an artist. How? Yeah. You've told me once um, you were walking here where we live um, along one of the roads. And it was the what we call the carnival in the middle of summer, which is the, about the wrongest thing you can put on. But you told me that somebody approached you and said to you, "I can tell you are an artist." Yeah. And what they, is that about? And they say, "Go and go and get your guitar." And yeah. I say, what is no. that about? Well, they, it, they, it's to do with a number of things. Um, mm. Hairstyle is quite important. Uh, the semiotics are very clear. It's hairstyle, usually a flamenco shirt. Uh, some jewellery. The jewellery is quite important. Yeah. Uh, probably. Uh, some people try to beat you to the jewellery, yeah, but anyway. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like I, I met a man who, who recognised me and called me across the street, and he had the most, the biggest Cameroon medallion that I've ever seen. It was a bust of Cameroon. It was like a fist of gold. Oh my God. Uh, under the weight of it, I wouldn't like to say. So it needed a very big chain. So that would be a quite a very good identifier. But something we haven't talked about is. Well, along with the clothes, like a waistcoat, it can be you're in a bar and somebody walks in and they've got flamenco shoes. Because ah. right? I, I, I just did a concert, as you know, a few days ago, and I, I took my flamenco shoes and they've got um, a massive long points. Yeah, I, I nearly tripped over on the stage. <laughs> and uh, so the people doing the concert with me, they said, wow, where do you get shoes like that from? So that's another signifier, let's put it that way. Yeah, listen to our episode on flamenco fashion, one of the first episodes <laughs> we ever did. You may learn yeah. something there about semiotics. And how, do you, how did you approach, that's always interesting to me, how do you approach these big artists? How, how do you have the confidence to kind of go to them what do they what well obviously you they're normally quite pleased yeah. that you even know who they are and you often you might say maestro you know buena dia or something like that and they'll say yeah you know and then you just ask them what they're doing what kind of stuff and they're very happy to do you know flamenco people are very humble um you know they're not I, i've met most of the of the big artists you know abishwela all of these people they're all very happy to just talk about what they're doing you know they um it's not like some rock people that, you know. Uh, Marcos, I'm pretty sure that some rock people, as you call them, are humble too. Well, I, I better not comment. Oh, stop it now. <laughs> what did you talk about with um, with him? Well, not a lot. I mean, it was more. I was more in awe of him and just mm. seeing the fact. Uh, it was an interesting one because um, we, we've talked about other people 
uh, that, that I've met and I've told you that I'm, when I'm with them, huge crowds have come out, you know, to, to have, have a look. Uh, Rancapino, for instance, mm. you know, when, when I walked with him in Cadiz, people came out of every bar before we knew it was surrounded by but in the case of Lebrihano he would because the Grand Plata is quite a way out I think he'd probably gone there to just have a quiet coffee Moment. or something yeah so you know I just left him in peace but I, I was proud to have seen him in the sun with his wonderful hat on well in that spirit uh, give me a track that yeah. brings the warmth of the sun and the quiet of the piazza. Well, I mean, I don't know whether it does Plata. that, but this is one of my one of my great uh, one of my favourites. Again, with the orchestra from North Africa, Dami La Libertà. This is interesting. Um, I had never heard of this author, and we've done uh, a few episodes around books, but we've never talked about Michael Jacobs, who um, he's passed now, but um, you knew him. Yeah, I've got all, I've got all of his books. I mean, he's a great a guide to Andalusia. Is what you yeah, have with I mean, us today? He's somebody that's written many books on Andalusia. He used to live in Andalusia, um, and we're going to read out what I think is. Uh, a very amusing passage that he wrote. How true this is, I don't know. We'll, as he's a, a valued academic, we'll, we'll take this as uh, that it really happened. Yeah, but what, who is he, first of all? He's someone who lives in Andalusia, right? He lived in Andalusia, and he, he, I mean, he writes about two things, really. He writes about art. Mm. He's an art historian. And also he wrote an awful lot of books on Andalusia, all aspects of it, uh, Spain throughout the ages. And this is a wonderful book, actually, as giving an idea. This is where he talks about the experience of going to a flamenco festival, which, as you know, Gally, they're not like ordinary festivals. They're a different thing altogether. I yeah, I mean, you know, I've, we talked about this before that if you, when, once you get in, if you want a drink or some crisps or whatever, you have to go and get tiki. So you can't just go to the bar normally and have a drink and give them whatever ero. You have to buy these vouchers. So, so that's one process, queuing up for that. Then, with your vouchers, you have to go over to the bar. And, of course, you have to try and work out how many vouchers you oh need. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'll buy the whole thing anyway. Yeah. Anyway, let's have, let's have a look at this uh, this wonderful chapter. Now, this is Michael Jacobs, and this is about him talking about our subject today, the, the town of Lebrija, and more importantly, the artist Lebrijano. It's important not to go to the festivals in the same spirit that you go to a classical concert. Not even the greatest aficionado can comfortably sit up for eight hours seriously engrossed in the music. The success of a festival depends much on the proximity of the bar to the stage. Mm. The first and best festival I went to, the Caracola of Labrica, had an excellently situated bar where most of the musicians and aficionados spent the greater part of the night, interrupting their lively banter only by the occasional glance at the nearby performers. <laughs> On occasions such as these, some of the characters of the Huergas survives into the festivals. I also remember a memorable scene at the Potaki of Utrera where the successful singer El Lebrijano, not scheduled to appear that night, spontaneously joined in in the proceedings. A woman was singing on the stage and El Lebrijano stood up from the audience and sang back at her 
in a drunken state and continuing to sing, he advanced towards her, precariously balanced on a wall, for which he eventually fell and broke his arm. Even this incident did not stop his singing, which was quite magnificent and well appreciated by an equally drunk audience. Whether or not the duende took possession of him, it is incidents such as these that remind one that one of the best of flamenco is the unplanned. Yeah, and the painful by the sound of it. <laughs> what, yeah. do, what do you make of this? Well, I mean, I don't know how true it is, but I have been to flamenco festivals where things... Similar things. Round, I mean, as you mentioned, eight hours. I mean, you can be waiting till four in the morning to see somebody you wanted to see on the stage. So it's, it's a, it can be quite a long thing. They've come a little bit more stricter. They're, they're ending a bit earlier now because obviously that book was written some time ago. But, um, you know... People don't realise. I mean, I, I've had tourists come to Morong and they buy tickets. And at 11 o'clock, they say, oh, you know, when will whoever be on? And I say, well, no, first we've got all the all the children from the dance school and everything. Uh, well, what do you think about 12 o'clock? I said, no, I think the person you've come to see, you're looking more at 3 to 4 yeah. o'clock. Because it goes in importance, yeah? So the very best you're not going to get go to last. go last. Yeah. Why is that? It's weird. Well, Hendrix stuck to that principle as well. Yeah. If you're the number one, you're last on. Yeah. Come on, the same. Regardless, well, often you end up with not that many people by then because people have run well, out. This is the, this to go is the to trouble, st- isn't <laughs> it? This is the trouble. And you say that the most celebrated album uh, of Librijano is Percussion. Yeah. I mean, this is where it's almost a, an academic piece of work, really. Um, it's dealing with what happened to the gypsy people uh, when they became nomads in Spain uh, after the long journey. And it's a lot of it is written by a, a very great uh, writer, Felix Grande, who, who used to write all the sleeve notes for Paco de Lucia and everything. Uh, and it's, you know, it's a historical look at the plight of the gypsies with all the different edicts that were passed against them and... and how they were not allowed to uh, move or anything like they have to stay in the same place and all what happened to them under the various kings. Um, it's a beautiful record and it really established uh, Lebrijano as, as a very, very serious artist, you know, because this, this was the era of the 70s, whereas you can see the original artefact, the record companies put a lot of money into the covers. So you not only got a record that was gatefold sleeve, you got a book inside with pictures and you know so the original copies of these must have cost a lot to produce but it made his name and then of course he goes on to produce all these wonderful records like the one you're looking at now where he's live in the Royal Theatre of Madrid Mm -hmm. and so they say about him the caption is you know he went from the tablaos the nightclubs to the Royal Theatre in Madrid. And he was very much a supporter of gypsy rights, as you say. Yes, so lots of his songs are all based on that. Um, Other parts of his repertoire relates a lot to religion, and he made a lot of albums to do with that. Um, But overall, uh, I think he's best known. I mean, when we watch him on TV now, they tend to usually dig out... Uh, footage of all the fusion things he did. Yeah. Because that seems to make great TV, you know, because you've got people playing lots of instruments that the public aren't used to seeing. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned, obviously, uh, Feliz Grande, who do you think uh, he kind of 
looked for people like Lebrihano to yeah. collaborate with. Very much so. I mean, the people that he, he, he worked with all the time would be Paco de Lucia and Lebrihano, which, of course, Lebrihano recorded with Paco. He recorded with every number one of the great guitarists, Manolo Sanluca. There's nobody he hasn't worked with. But you're right about Felix. That's the sort of thing he did. So he would write the notes for Paco's Almoraima album, you know, talking about Thiab, this great lutinist coming from Iraq to Spain, to Cordoba. Yeah. So in the same way, he would be very interested in writing the notes, you know, for Lebrijano because uh, he's doing a very interesting project. He's sort of taking flamenco partly to it, some of its roots of North Africa. Yeah. Uh, how shall we then um, do... Uh, I want to kind of do a little track for everyone who's listening on Spotify, maybe with a with a good guitarist uh, and Lebrijano. Well, I think you should uh, dig out Manolo Sanluca playing for Lebrijano in, in that royal theatre, because it's live, so that will be a different flavour. Yeah? yeah. So he's playing live in, in the theatre... Uh, with, with Manolo Sanluca. It became a big thing, this, by the way, because long, long time ago, they never had flamenco in, in, the, in the Teatro Real, you know, and then yeah. Papa de Lucia became one of the first people to perform, and then everybody... All, yeah, all the rest the, is uh, history, yeah. as they say. Why is that... Um, that uh, Lebrijano had a traditional style, but he also introduced fusion. Because uh, obviously we talked about the, the um, North African artists that he collaborated with. But you say also that, um, for example, Pedro Bacan, his family, his cousin, yeah. uh, he was a very traditional artist, so that there is this duality of Well, it's him. a weird thing. It's good that you, you, you're talking about, about his cousin, Pedro Bacan, who, again, sadly, he... He died in a car accident in Los Palacios in Sevilla. Great loss because he used to go and visit the United States and he was a big ambassador for the flamenco guitar. The thing about Pedro Bacan, again, part of this dynasty that we're talking about, the Peña dynasty, he played very, very deep, very traditional. But he it's a weird thing to say and it's hard to describe it. He sort of modernised tradition. Mm. Yeah? So he's taking something which sounds completely classical, flamenco or taranta or something like so that. So he's not a Riqueni. No, he doesn't. No, and he's no. not a Rancapino. No, it's got a completely different sound. That's what I mean. It. Yeah. It's not yeah. a it, it's, it, it, it's very, uh, very earthy, um, which I know you're going to probably ask me about, about a film that he's in. Can I ask you about the film that he's in? <laughs> well, the reason I bring that is that this director, Jana Bokova, did, went to all the different towns and there's a great, one of my favourite bits in it is um, Pedro Bacan is playing just in, in La Brica where we're, where we're based in talking about this programme today. And his, his father, I think it's Bastiano, I think it was, he, he says, no, you, the guitar's out of tune. And it, it does sound quite out. And Pedro says, no, no, no. And he just ploughs on with this very deep playing. And then it just, the, no, it, the, the guitar is out of tune. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 it's perfectly okay. And he, you can see it's like, you know, I'm happy with it, right? And, and of course, he's playing this very dark sounds that it sort of 
works, you know, that, it, that the guitar is slightly off tune, but he's clearly not going to stop playing and start fiddling around with, with tuning it, which is one of my great memories of, of Pedro Bacan, because and also seeing him accompany uh, so many singers like, like Fernanda and Bernarda, he was a great accompanist, you know, and when he accompanied, he put everything into the accompany, not this thing where you try and show off what a brilliant guitarist you are, you know, like you're the servant of the singer, don't take the, don't detract, you know, don't take the limelight away from the singer, make sure that you're supporting them. Yeah, and then in the break you can just do a few licks and things like that. Yeah, well, I will endeavour to find. If not, I will link um, a piece from um, Alurican. Yeah, you said that's a Buleria Yerba Buena. Yeah, anything if you can find a Buleria or a Solia or Pedro, anything uh, would that, work. That, that would be absolutely fantastic. The person who we haven't talked a lot about is Ines. Yeah, uh, uh, the sister. Ines Bacan. Ines Bacan, um, who you saw actually yeah, I in mean, England. I mean, it's very rare to 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 see Ines, and uh, I was very fortunate that um, we went to a major concert in in London. In in London, they have the, the Barbican, which is a huge uh, art centre in, in the city of London. They were putting on a massive flamenco show with Moraito and people like that and I couldn't believe that Ines Bacan was going to be there and she's just got an astounding voice and she, she's the sister of Pedro Bacan and um, what was really incredible about it huge auditorium and then suddenly down the aisle comes this figure walking very slowly and then takes the stage Ines Bacan and then she seems to, I mean, she's a, an expert at, at Soliar, Soliar pour Bouleria, which I think we're going to hear. And I've got to say this, um, it took me about a month to get over the experience. It's, it's got to be, and I was with somebody who'd come from the States to see this performance. We both decided that in all our years of following Flamenco, this was the best concert we'd ever seen. Mm. And it was the Duende of La Brica. Well, that's it for another episode. A very interesting one because, again, we haven't spoken about the flamenco dynasty before, but we will do it again because we're going to revisit the other places of the Golden Triangle and also other places that are very significant for flamenco genre. I would uh, encourage you once again to listen back to our fusion episode and also the Moron episode. And as Marcos mentioned, we're very much working on a special live almost live experience uh, from the gazpacho coming up this summer but until the next time whether you listen to play or learn about flamenco remember to always follow the beat <laughs> <laughs>